2: Here we go.
1: Jackson over the middle. Caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. What an
3: effort! Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson Jackson himself. Look at him jerk back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles! Now he's got an entourage! And he's got a touchdown! He is Houdini! What a play! 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson.
4: Welcome to another edition of Pod Like a Raven. I have to bring back my excited intros because it is officially week one of the NFL season. Week one of the Raven season as they embark on what is sure to be another exciting win-filled, playoff-filled Super Bowl season for the Baltimore Ravens. I am Antonio Barbera. I don't know if you can tell I'm excited. I'm going to let my co-hosts say how excited they are for it to be football season. Let's start back at the lake. Tim Horsey, how are you feeling days away from the NFL kickoff?
1: I'm sitting here at Deep Creek Lake, mountains, beautiful weather, a bit of a chill at night so you can sleep well, and Ravens football is next weekend you used excited i'll use ecstatic and then jace will have to think of another word but i cannot wait cannot wait for this week one matchup against the browns and the inevitable dread of sitting there for three hours watching them try and blow it against cleveland um, but even even with all that I, I just cannot wait for this weekend
4: excited ecstatic jace we need one more e-word for you how are you feeling <laughs> on the west coast leading up to week one
2: well, it's uh, an exhilarating time, Antonio. Here we go. Here <laughs> um, we go. Uh, very excited. Uh, um, yeah, the NFL, it's happening. Wasn't sure we'd get to this point, but games, uh, you know, season starts Thursday, Ravens uh, playing Sunday. It's all happening. Very excited. can uh, I can't believe we're going to watch NFL football Thursday night. It's unbelievable.
4: (laughs) A very good point made there that months ago, it really did not look like an NFL season was going to kick off in early September. So far, things are on track. We will see what happens three to four weeks into the season. That may be a different story, (laughs) but for now, everything's slated to kick off in just two days, Thursday night, with the Texans traveling to play the Super Bowl defending champs, Kansas City Chiefs. But we're going to talk about Ravens here. Uh, first, we want to go over the roster because some decisions were made uh, late last week about who's going to be on this team and who isn't. Then we're going to get into some NFL over/unders that we like for the year preview, Week One of the Browns game, and then offer up a few more tasty lines, Week One lines uh, that that were all over. But first, we got to look at the roster, guys. We had some bubble players that we were talking about last week. We weren't sure where players were going to slot in, they're now down to 53 players, the team put out the depth chart uh, just earlier today as we record on Monday afternoon, thoughts on uh, on some bubble decisions, who made the team, who didn't make the team for the first time in I I think 16 years, there's no undrafted free agent making the team this year, which, which just quickly I would just say speaks to the depth of this team and the talent that was already on the roster before the season started and that they know their guys. They held on to a lot of the familiar names, but thoughts on uh the roster and depth chart, guys?
2: Um we mentioned this a few times, not maybe not the uh most exciting battle out there, but one that I think is near and dear to our hearts because uh Patrick Ricard is this team's third string tight end. Um uh, <laughs> uh, they uh Jarrell Adams is, uh, I believe practice squad bound. Um, he's not on the, uh, the 53 man. They're only carrying, uh, two tight ends, which is definitely interesting. As, uh, we talked about, uh, it was either well last week or two weeks ago, this team loves tight ends and there are only two official ones. So it definitely seems like our boy Pat Ricard is going to factor into the mix. Uh, you know, even more, uh, than he did. They love that guy. We love that guy. So I'm not exactly upset about that, but, it's definitely at least interesting. Uh, we talked about, you know, Mark Andrews, uh, injury history. Um, so I think that's one thing for me that really kind of jumped out right away.
1: Yeah. The, the undrafted, uh, note is, is a good one. And I think you're right about the, the talent on this team. You know, we've said multiple times, probably the most talented Ravens squad, um, just depth wise that we've seen in a while. Uh, but I think part of that too is you don't have any preseason games, which these guys don't get a chance to impress. So maybe they don't get that late, that that fifty-two or fifty-third spot, fifty-second, fifty-third spot on the roster. Um, thought it was interesting, Jaleel Scott, who is another stereotypical, this guy's amazing in training camp guy, has finally been cut and not given, or not given a spot on the team, which I think speaks to. You know, we, we certainly, as a podcast and the media, always talk about these guys because you have to have something to talk about, guys who pop in camp, but that really doesn't mean a lot. Um, you mentioned Ricard, so I don't have to wax poetic about him, even though you know I would love to. <laughs> uh, a couple things that are interesting for me. First, two rookies. Um, Malik Harrison is the – if you if you take both middle linebacker and weak linebacker, which are essentially both just middle linebackers, if you take those positions – Malik Harrison is fifth overall. Uh, Patrick Queen and LJ Fort will be starting with Atara Alaka and Chris Board behind them. And then Malik Harrison is the weak linebacker. And that had me a little concerned until I saw the running back depth chart. And let me just explain why. Because J.K. Dobbins is seen as the fourth running back behind Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. And obviously Mark Ingram is the number one. I think that's more of a... This is a rookie. For now, he's here. He has to earn his spot. And I could definitely see Harbaugh kind of being that guy as well. Um, but but the Malik Harrison thing, that was one of the things that popped. And then, for me, the other one, and we've talked about it over and over and over again, uh, DJ Fluker does start at right guard uh, with Stanley, Bradley Bozeman, Sakura, and Orlando Brown. So, overall, I'm, I'm relatively confident in that offensive line if Fluker can kind of – not even live up to the potential he had coming out of college, but even just be a decent pro. But behind that, you look at the depth and it is almost non-existent um, <laughs> behind left guard for, for behind Bozeman at left guard, you have Ben Powers and Ben Bredesen, the rookie out of Michigan. Um, you have Patrick McCarry backing up Matt Sakura at center, and then backing up the left tackle, backing up the right guard and backing up the right tackle is one player. And that's Tyree Phillips, the rookie that they drafted in the third round in the Mississippi state. So Again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here, but if any of those guys go down, you know, if if they get if they have two injuries on the offensive line, this becomes a cataclysmic disaster um really quickly because there's just no depth there.
4: It's almost a bigger issue that Terry Phillips gets hurt than a starter <laughs> gets hurt because yeah. he has so many positions that he needs to fill in on the offensive line. Yeah, it's. I feel like with the Ravens year in year out, that offensive line is patchwork to start the season, and then if they have, they either figure it out or if they have some problems, they move somebody here. They they add a veteran uh, late. Tyree Phillips ends up being a starter instead of a three position backup. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Jace, the uh, issue with the two tight ends, I'm terrified <laughs> uh, about that. But I suppose the this year maybe. Compared is different compared to other seasons in being able to stash these practice squad guys. So it's almost like Jarrell Adams is like in the minors. So it's not like you lost, you knew that guy could have been your third tight end, but you stash him on the practice squad uh, and he doesn't take a roster spot up until you need it, considering if one of those first two tight ends gets hurt. the Another issue, or another, <laughs> maybe this is an issue, is what ended up happening with the return roles on this team. Kenyon Barner signed late in the summer uh, as a guy who we thought was going to just become the maybe the punt returner, was hurt for most of the camp, uh, and had no preseason games to shine. Tim, as you mentioned, Justice Hill slated to be the kickoff returner. Willie Sneed, the punt returner. I'm confused, but I guess we're just waiting. <laughs> who knows? This I should mention this depth chart was put out officially by the PR department of the Ravens, not by the coaching staff. So some of this could change from one week to the next, but I mean, is Willie Sneed, are they listening to my requests? Is he the like, just fair catch <laughs> the punts and don't fumble it guy, or are they still waiting to see what, uh, DuVernay and, and Prochet can do in the return game? What, what are the Ravens thinking here with uh, Justice Hill and Willie Sneed in those two spots?
1: Well, Justice Hill has a bit of a return experience. Um, I was kind of surprised he didn't have more of that role as a rookie because um, he's just an explosive player, a guy who, again, was a rookie. So maybe I would like to see him have more of a role in the offense. Clearly, that's going to be a little more difficult now that J.K. Dobbins is coming as well in the running back position. But Sneed, you took the words out of my mouth. I think it's a safe pair of hands. Um... I don't know if he's had any experience returning punts and kicks in the past. Um, Here's my dumb brain. I know in Madden 20 last year, he's one of the higher-rated players in terms of special teams (laughs) punting and returning, uh, kick returning and punt returning on the Ravens roster. So maybe that's based off previous experience. Off the top of my head, I'm just at his other stops before he came to Baltimore. I just don't remember him playing a part on special teams. But I think it's it's all of that and also part of – Maybe they want to see maybe they want to give Prochet a shot in a in a game time experience before or, you know, if Sneed is not dynamic enough, then they'll give Prochet that shot. And because he didn't have a shot to prove himself in preseason in sort of real football, they weren't gonna risk throwing him out there week one against Cleveland.
2: Yeah, uh It's so hard to say, I think, just what no preseason games has done to, you know, NFL coaches are prone to just analyzing every last piece of film they possibly can uh, for, you know, 18 hours a day. And there's just none uh, from the preseason for this year. So, you know, I I think... and I think this reflects, just to kind of tie everything up in a bow, Just I think it reflects on the rookies too, right? They haven't seen them in a game uh, with stakes where, you know, you're allowed to tackle the other team's QB, you're allowed to really get after the other team's running backs and stuff. Um, so, while I'm not in love with Willie Snead being the Ravens punt returner, <laughs> um, you know... And to, it's it's probably just he's kind of just a placeholder because they're like, well, we know you can do this, right? And they'll circle back. And I wouldn't be surprised if you know if we see James Prochet back there, like second quarter of week two. <laughs> <laughs> After uh... Jace, you
4: made a good uh, you made a good point there about the the draft picks. Every draft pick made the team from this season for that. every twenty twenty draft pick made the team, and that's. Maybe a little bit benefit of the doubt, in the fact that these guys haven't had any sort of NFL game to play in yet—that they wanted to give all of them a chance. They didn't have any bad tape yet, so that <laughs> may have uh, in- hampered some other guys that were on the bubble uh, trying to make the team. In terms of, I'm going to go over one last slot, and I'm going to use that to pivot to our next point, and that is who is going to rush the quarterback on this team. The starters officially Matthew Judon and Pernell McPhee, who was not on the team to start last season, is. <laughs> I think all three of us would agree is just about over the hill got hurt very early just after a few games uh when he re-signed with the Ravens last year I mean that's a glaring hole to me I have no idea if Pernell McPhee is going to play 16 games and I now don't know that Jadavian Clowney isn't going to play 16 games in a Raven uniform I'm going to smash these two points together and and let you guys uh finish up with whatever you'd like but Clowney officially signs a one-year, $15 million deal with the Tennessee Titans. And the dream is dead, which I don't love, but the Ravens were never going to pay Clowney $15 million. I'm surprised he got that much this late in the offseason. But I turn to you, Tim, rubbing your temples because Pernell McPhee is expected to get 8 to 10 sacks this season. (laughs) Thoughts on the Ravens' rush this year and uh, Clowney signing with the Titans?
1: Well, to to go from, first of all, the Clowney aspect... You nailed it. They weren't going to pay him $15 million, and I'm kind of surprised that good on him. He was patient. He waited, and he went to a team that had a decent run last year and is probably going to fizzle out this season. Um, still got his $15 million. And no, I'm not salty about the playoffs. Uh, for the Ravens, anyway, <laughs> I look more at the guys behind him. Now, like you said, it is a little concerning that they are not starting over him, at least according to this PR depth chart. Um, but I think it's time—it's put up or shut up time for Tyus Bowser, certainly. Um, and then it's Jalen Ferguson, y- your nickname Sack Daddy. Let's see what you can do. Like <laughs> you know, this is—you've got—you have a year in the league now. Showed a couple flashes. Take that role and make it your own, opposite Judon. Um, and with all of that being said, too, the other point about this is, we saw how the Ravens got pressure last year, and it wasn't just having studs. It was Wink Martindale coming up with schemes. And relying on his defensive backs to be in single coverage, or even send them on the blitz sometimes, getting really creative in terms of rushing the quarterback. And I don't expect anything less from Old Wink uh, this season.
2: Yeah, uh, he's he's got to be loving uh, no preseason games. All these you know blitzes he's just cooked up for unnecessary third and nine blitzes and stuff. But uh, uh, yeah. I mean, this, for me, it always circles back to the eternal uh, Matt Judon conundrum is in that, you know, I don't think, I think I could speak for all three of us when we say we're not necessarily in love with the player, but uh, someone does have to get sacks on the team. And obviously, you know, you're going to get some interior pressure from the likes of uh, Derek Wolfe and Calais Campbell, which you probably haven't seen from the Ravens in recent years. So I think that um, kind of will help mitigate the... The lack of you know Jadavion Clowney on the outside, but uh, you know, I, as per Clowney, I'm not, um, it makes sense when you think about why he would go to the Titans. Uh, Mike Rabel was his defensive coordinator back with the Texans, um, so they have a good connection there. Unfortunately for the Ravens, uh, this will not be the last time we talk about Jadavion Clowney because they do have to play the Titans this year, so he will surely come up in a future episode um, as a raven's opponent but you know at least he's not on like the browns or whatever <laughs>
4: all right that's all we have in terms of raven news we're gonna go over nfl over unders in a minute here but i'm gonna it's my turn for the random raven this week so i'm gonna give out a few clues and then have it answered at the end of the show and sort of in honor, even if it's negative, you pour one out, but in honor of the Ravens not signing an undrafted free agent to make the 53-man roster this year, at least at the moment. That may still change in in the coming days, but I have picked an undrafted free agent who signed with the Ravens in 2011 out of Auburn. This random Raven, by the way, is going to seem really hard, and then it's going to be really, I think, simple, but so bear with me to the end here, but Signed with the Ravens in 2011, barely played uh, in his rookie season, as I pull up his stats here, played in one game in his rookie season. But in 2012, on the Ravens' Super Bowl winning team, he played in 10 games, started three of them, and had 34 combined tackles. (laughs) (laughs) He left the team after the 2013 season and signed with the Detroit Lions. This player then made a mid-season appearance with the team in 2019. I should say early season, early to mid-season appearance last season and famously intercepted a pass from a non-quarterback on the Pittsburgh Steelers. This guy was a veteran important presence on the defense in a unit that needed a lot of overhaul very soon, very early into the season but only ended up playing the, this one year and then signed for 2020 a one-year deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you his position. I'm not going to tell you his number. And can, that's
1: my random Raven. Can I offer a bonus clue for the listeners? Because I think Jason and I might have it.
2: Maybe.
4: And
1: this might not help, <laughs> but this this is just seared into my brain. If I'm correct, which I might not be, but I'm pretty certain I am. If I'm not, If I am correct, he made the final tackle in the Ravens' Super Bowl win over the 49ers.
4: I do believe that is uh, one of those factoids that you often hear about this player, especially when he came back to Baltimore. That does sound familiar to me. Right.
1: I believe that's the case.
4: So we will have that answered at the end of the episode, but let's now turn to over-unders for the NFL season. Uh We're going to go around in a circle here, guys. Feels good. We may agree on some of these. We may disagree on some of these over-unders on who we think, a few teams that are going to win more games than Vegas predicts or lose many more games than Vegas predicts. You know, I I always push it to one of you guys first. I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to say my two lines with a little bit of explanation, not too, too much, and then I'm going to let you guys either agree with me or rip me to shreds. The first one is Green Bay. This team won 13 games last season. Did they overachieve? Yes, Did they overachieve by five, six wins? No. (laughs) Their line for this season is eight and a half wins. I don't see how this team doesn't have a winning record with keeping a lot of the same infrastructure that they had the year before. They had a rookie head coach that they clearly liked better than Mike McCarthy. (laughs) He's still there. Rodgers is still there. He's pissed off about the team signing a quarterback to replace him. This team has to go 10-6, and six, in my opinion. If they fall off of that and go 9-7, and seven, you still cover. That's my first over, is Green Bay, over 8.5. And, and then I'm taking a flyer team. And that's, I can't believe I'm saying this, because I watched this team lose to the Ravens 59-10 to 10 last season. <laughs> but Miami's over-under is 6 this year. And while the Dolphins looked horrendous the first two months of the season, they won their last, like, 5 out of 6 games they were no longer well <laughs> they were no longer tanking for Tua until they were tanking for Tua they ended up i believe finishing the season at 5 and 11 i could pull that up when we when we turn to you guys but they then drafted Tua they have a franchise quarterback they have a head coach the team somehow rallied around late in the year in Brian Flores they added a few nice pieces and i think this team could you know they could be go 500 they could go 7 and 9 and you still cover that bet Uh, Their schedule is not as difficult as it was last year. I think the entire persona around this team has changed from week one to week one a a year ago compared to now. And I'm taking the Dolphins over six wins, even if they go seven and nine, eight and eight. The rebuild continues and you cover that bet. So those are my two over-unders. We talked about the Ravens last week. All three of us have them winning 12 games, which is technically over the 11 and a half. So put those three together. Uh, and I have three teams that I'm sure I'm going to lose money on <laughs> later this season. Uh, who would uh, Who would like to go next for uh, for over unders? Tim, I'll, take it away.
1: Yeah, I'll go real quickly because I have I just uh, the Packers one. I completely agree with you on. I believe the only person they really lost was Belaga, who, by the way, Brian Belaga looks like the most Green Bay Packers offensive <laughs> lineman I've ever seen. Iowa but, man. Yeah, absolutely. Represent. Um, but he he's gone. He's at the Chargers. But outside of that, like you said. I think Aaron Rodgers takes this whole drafting Jordan Love thing and has maybe not a career year, but damn near close to it because he's so pissed off about it. Um, and so to go to eight and a half just seems crazy to me. Just because
2: I, I love this one, too, because I love the Packers. We know. We've documented by Aaron Rodgers' love on here. but uh, Can't wait to hear it all season. Uh, to remember, too, like Devonte Adams was pretty banged up for them last year as well. Uh, he was in and out of the lineup. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they still went 13-3. and So, like you said, not a lot's changed. They still play the Detroit Lions twice. They still play the Chicago Bears twice. And until Aaron Rodgers stops completely owning those two teams, that seems like four wins right there. Um, So, yeah, hard not to like the Packers pick.
1: Yeah, and and coupled with that, I I have a couple here. I'm not super strong on any one of them outside of this Green Bay one because I think that Green Bay one is just insane. Um, But it's one of those where you look and you're like, Vegas knows something. Because that is too good to be true. And if that's the case, then it definitely isn't. Um, (laughs) Coupled with that, Mitch Trubisky has been announced the starter for the Chicago Bears. Their line is eight. I know their defense is great, but pair it with two losses that they'll have to the Packers. And I think maybe (laughs) they'll go seven and nine. Um, So I'm going to go with the under eight for the Chicago Bears. Um, I also like the the under with the Indianapolis Colts. Indy's at nine and a half. And Phillip Rivers... If that's the guy that's supposed to boost you, I mean, they have a good team, but a couple injuries and, you know, that could be the end of them. So under nine and a half for Indianapolis. Um, and then I, I have a couple others here. I really like this Broncos offense. Um, all the the KJ Hamler pick I thought was great. Obviously they got Judy. We'll see about Drew Locke, but just for my friend, Phil, shout out Philber. I'll go over the seven and a half there, slightly. Um, and then the other one that I just love is, the, the line for our week one opponent is eight and a half. And if you believe they're going to hit the over, that means you think they're going to have a winning record. If you heard last week's podcast, I do not believe that to be the case. So I'm going to take the under. And yet again, the Browns <laughs> fans are miserable because they only win seven or eight games.
2: Uh, I love it. The Browns haven't had a winning season since 2007. Feels good. <laughs> um, uh, my one, I think... I don't want to call it a lock, but I am taking over ten and a half for the New Orleans Saints. This is the all-in push to uh, get, you know, Drew Brees seems like his final season. And really, aside from his, you know, hand injury last year, um, he looked great, I thought. Um, you know, they had a very weird and strange playoff loss to Kirk Cousins, but um, this team's gone 13-3 and three, two years in a row. Uh, they look to be the team to beat in the NFC South again. Um, and I think just, you know, for a team that goes is, is so all in it's, it's hard for me to imagine them going 10 and six or worse, especially given their schedule. They do have a tough schedule, but you know, unless Drew Brees really fell off a cliff from last season to this season, and it doesn't seem like. He Did that line's awesome, you know? They do have to figure out what they're doing with Alvin Kamara, I guess that's the one sort of weird thing they have going on with them. But uh, yeah, I mean, Michael Thomas, Cam Jordan, and that defense, this team's all in, and I think you know, oh, I think an over ten and a half is a pretty easy bet. Uh, you know, they were trying to do some very weird shenanigans to get to Davion Clowney, uh, so they're they're all in. So I'm going with the Saints over, and then I'm a pessimistic bad by nature, so I have a, a small handful of unders here. Um, I fall on the other side of the ledger of Tim on the Denver Broncos. I think that roster is awesome, but I am not a Drew Locke believer. Um, I think it's a lot of pressure on him. We don't know how good he is. He was okay. He was solid at times at the end of last season. Um But I think there's just a level of unknown with him uh, that might hold what I think is otherwise a pretty good Broncos roster back a bit. Uh, So I'm going under 7.5 there. And then just the final one I want to highlight, because I think they might end up being the worst team in the NFL, is the New York Giants under 6.5. Are the Giants winning seven games? They've gone like four they went four and twelve last year, uh and one of those teams was one of their wins was against Washington uh you know, might have two wins against Washington, honestly uh, they were a horrible yeah they the Giants have gone three and thirteen five and eleven, and four and twelve the last uh three seasons. This is a bad football team. I don't think Daniel Jones is that great. I think he's fine. He fumbles the ball a ton (laughs) Um, and the line's bad. Nate Solders opted out. So they better hope Andrew Thomas, who they took fourth overall is the fourth overall pick because they don't really have other options (laughs) uh, to protect Daniel Jones's blind side. I, I just am highly skeptical of this team. Um, you know, first-year coach Joe Judge, New England special teams coordinator most recently. I, I'm i not uh, high on many first-year coaches, I think, this year with, that haven't been. Like, you're Mike McCarthy's, your are Ron Rivera's, I think they'll be fine. They know how to be a head coach in the NFL. I don't know that Joe Judge knows how to be a head coach in the NFL, so... Uh, I think it's gonna be pain for the Giants and six and a seven wins just seems way too many for them. So uh let's hit the, that under on the New York Giants is uh I think a uh, pretty can't miss bet.
4: The New York Giants this year, however, will be without Eli Manning. So that alone may be <laughs> just like an extra win, but I would agree with you, Jace, that that doesn't carry them above six and a half wins. All right, so those are our over-unders, guys. Prove us, yell at us mid-season, yell at us at the end of the season, um, but give us props if we get these right uh, by week 17. But we're now going to turn to really what is the most exciting part of this episode, and this is the week one preview. Ravens hosting the Cleveland Browns. We finally did it. We made it. We've been mostly inside for the past seven months. We've had no football in our lives after watching 14 wins by the team last season, but here it is. Week one, no fans in the stands, Ravens-Browns. We're going to go through uh, Ravens offense versus Browns defense, Ravens defense against the Browns offense, and then sprinkle in some some special teams, some coaching (laughs) issues, and some intangibles later on. So let's start first. I'll turn to you guys with just, you know, first impressions about this game and then turning to the Ravens offense on the field versus the Browns defense. Is... 200 rushing rush for 200 yards by the end of this game control the clock is that the metric for for success again to to beating any team but specifically the browns tim let's start with with you for this
1: game first of all i just as you're talking and you start with week one i just hear dun 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 i hope i don't get claimed for that um just in my head because i am so excited for the autumn wind blows and the ravens are back um initial impressions It's always tough to start with a division opponent. I think it's just going to be weird. Um, With no fans and the fake crowd noise and the intangibles we'll get to. But my overall impression is, happy it's back. Everybody's talked about a sense of normalcy, which I agree with. I think it's something that we all kind of need in our lives right now. But it it still will be a little weird. Um, Is just kind of my one word for it. In terms of the offense... I think the key to beating the Browns is to run the football effectively. The Baltimore Ravens are very, very good at that and hope to be this season as well. Um, The Browns' defense was one of only three teams last year to give up five or more yards per carry. Uh, They ranked 30th in the league. Uh, I can't remember who was behind them. And they lost their middle linebacker, Joe Schobert, who I believe signed with Jacksonville, and that's 133 combined tackles gone from the middle of their defense. So... I think running the ball will be key in this one uh, for Baltimore, which is a good thing, is what they're good at. That being said, the last time these two teams played, and again, it was last season, I know. Lamar Jackson went 20-31, 238 yards, and three touchdowns in the air. He also added 103 yards on the ground because he's <laughs> you know, the, the second coming. But I think that the Ravens, especially because there hasn't been a lot of time to practice. Clearly, we talked about it. They're, one of, they're going to be one of the more prepared teams because they are a cohesive unit. They, didn't, they added some but didn't lose a lot. Coaching staff is the same, as Jace mentioned before, with the over-unders. But I think it'll be a little conservative out of the gate um, from Baltimore because there has been no preseason games. There has been no hitting a, a team, hitting somebody else in other colors. I'll put it that way. So all of that being said, I think in terms of this side of the ball, that favors Baltimore because what do they do best? they run the football
2: yeah i think i'm this is definitely um where the ravens can win the game is controlling the clock because not to dwell too much on bad things in the past but um you know playoffs notwithstanding this uh browns game in baltimore was the worst game the ravens played last year um They now the problems were more on the defensive side of the ball, and we could get to those uh, because I think some of those concerns could still be valid. But, um, you know, that game got away from the Ravens, too. They committed a a handful of turnovers, um, and it just, you know, kept the ball in Cleveland's hands and got the ball back to Cleveland. So I think keeping it away from baker mayfield and company i know we will i'm sure when we talk about the defense talk about baker in a second here but i think you know it's that's still theoretically the strength of the browns right it's uh um and especially because the browns have a decent secondary certainly denzel ward i think is one of the better emerging cornerbacks um so if you're able to find success on the ground, I think it becomes a lot easier to beat this team.
4: Concerns about Miles Garrett. He's the guy that scares me. Uh, He's what sort ba- of...
2: Back for the <laughs> first Jayce time. In just a while... <laughs>
4: t- That's my point. Miles Garrett, uh, I have concerns. Yeah, uh, especially well, against this makeshift at the moment or unclear offensive line. JC, you have some thoughts on... Uh, what miles Garrett can do to this this team.
2: So he'll certainly be revved up and ready to play, right? This guy has not played an NFL game since last October um, due to reasons. Um, but, um, no, I think it's definitely a concern. You know, he got a huge payday this off season, despite his, uh,
1: somewhat historic, uh, suspension there. Um, You could say it, Jace, assault, despite (laughs) assault on the football field.
2: Yes, as Adam Schefter infamously tweeted. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, I'm definitely concerned. Um, I do think that the Ravens do have the tackle uh, tackle duo, excuse me, to mitigate him a little bit. But, you know, Miles Garrett is extremely talented. He did earn, uh, you know, his his record payday for he had 10 sacks and, uh, at the time he was suspended last year. And it, I think he does have, you know, defensive player of the year potential in his future. Uh, he was the first overall pick. So that's not, you know, extremely surprising, but um, I think it is a concern. Obviously when the Ravens did win uh, that late season game in Cleveland, uh, he was not on the field. Um, so I, 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 I believe in uh, Brown and Stanley to be able to kind of handle him, but I think you have to be a little concerned because I think he is one of the better game changers out there at the defensive end position in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, for, for me, sorry, sorry Antonio. For me, it's simply, and I'll let you go here, if he's lined up against Ronnie Stanley, I'm taking Ronnie Stanley every day of the week and twice on Sunday. <laughs> um, Orlando Brown Jr., maybe a little less to that degree, but even the same. I know I, I've talked to – I've talked at length about my concerns about the offensive line, but it is certainly not with either of those tackles. So if he's rushing from the outside, I think we're fine. And we'll be able to see uh, our defensive end, fullback,
4: maybe chipping as a tight end, maybe uh, double <laughs> double teaming Miles Garrett along with the left or right tackle. I, I am excited to see what they do with him this season. I'm so excited for Week One football because of how good the Ravens are. Uh, week One, just having all that time to prepare and, and scheme, so. I think they're going to scheme the Browns to submission in a week one, especially in a situation where the Browns have a new head coach in Kevin Stefanski. But I want to turn to the Ravens' defense now because I have a question for you both where, in terms of when the Browns are on the field, there's two matchups that that are really going to happen. uh, That one may be concerning, both may be concerning, we'll, we'll see. And neither of them really involve Baker Mayfield as the, primarily. And my, my first question for you guys on this is, which test for the Ravens are you more excited for? The, the Odell Beckham-Landry uh, test against the Ravens secondary, specific maybe to Deshaun Elliott and his, really his big moment as a week one starter, or is it Nick Chubb running against our defensive line, improved and our linebacking (laughs) core young and revamped i I have a hunch as to who what matchup tim is going to go with whether it's wide receivers or the trenches but i'll let him take that one but which test are are you guys more excited for i guess and maybe more concerned with and and could be an issue
1: you you mentioned Deshaun elliott and we talked about this last week as well also which marcus peters is going to show up (laughs) question mark um so that one I will say when I'm talking about Deshaun Elliott and, and again, we should have more faith in Peters, but I just I'm just a little wary and that's the pessimism in me coming out. Compared to Calais Campbell and Derek Wolfe and Patrick Queen, yeah, I'm taking I'm taking that matchup. Now Nick Chubb, obviously it, Jace mentioned the loss, probably the worst game Baltimore played. Arguably, if you want to count the playoff game as well, which was pretty piss poor. Um, <laughs> Nick Chubb, 165 yards and three scores in that loss to Cleveland last year. Wasn't great. Wasn't great. Uh, it was a completely different defense at that time. Obviously, we, we mentioned all the changes that have happened. And you, if you listen to this podcast, you're a Ravens fan. You know that. So for me, it's let me get those boys in the trenches. Let me see Calais Campbell rip up that defensive line. Let me see Brandon Williams take up two blockers and Derek Wolf the other two to allow Patrick Queen to shoot through the gap and knock out Nick Chubb's teeth. Um, That one, that one is my matchup. Yeah, you guessed it right, Antonio. Far and away. I am way more excited to watch those boys in the trenches play.
2: I think that, for me, I think that is the matchup, too. Um, Because what we mentioned, you know, last year's game... That, you know, I believe it was 88-yard TD they gave up to Nick Chubb. I believe it was the, the longest run from scrimmage in Ravens history they allowed in that game. Uh, so it wasn't great. Um, and obviously that game was kind of the impetus for the Ravens making major changes. You know, Marcus Peters came in the next week, I believe. That week they traded for him, I believe. Um, but uh, I think for me, too, not only was Chubb's success last year against the Ravens. I think a reason why that is the matchup to watch. Um, I think you have to look too at, um, and not to keep bringing it up, but I think you have to at least examine the playoff loss a little bit too. Like in many ways, you know, can they stop, you know, premier running back in this league? I think Nick Chubb is one of those guys. Derrick Henry certainly is. Um, and I think when you look at the Calais Campbell's, the Derek Wolves they brought in, a lot of what they did is I think was a direct response to what happened uh, in that Titans game. So I think just kind of seeing you know um, how the defense responds to uh, um, a, a good rushing, a good running back with uh, what probably should be an improved rushing attack. You know the Browns have you know made some improvements on their offensive line, so. If you're a Browns fan, you have to probably hope your run game and everything's a little better in that regard. Um, so I think it will be a good test uh, to see, you know, how how the new pieces work, how the returning guys respond to a challenge against a good running back, uh, because I, I don't I the Ravens changed a ton after that Cleveland game last year, but I also don't take too much out of the last Cleveland game. Cause it was clear by the time the Ravens played that late in the year, they had, I think even though the Browns technically had a faint playoff hope alive, they'd quit on their coach by the time the Ravens uh, played that late season game. So I don't think though they did have success uh, against Chubb in that game. I I'm not going to, you know, hang my hat too much on that game if I'm the Ravens. And, uh, and I think too, you mentioned Deshaun Elliott, but like, how not having Earl Thomas impacts the run game too, right? Like safeties, they got to make tackles sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, if uh, we have a guy actually make a tackle and not just escort running backs down the field, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see that too. So yeah, for me, it's definitely the uh, how they uh, handle Nick Chubb.
4: We can talk about Beckham and Landry Uh, going against Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. But there's another matchup in between those two guys that could be interesting. And I I talked about him when my very bold prediction that I've since maybe regretted a tiny, tiny bit about the Browns making the playoffs (laughs) uh, is that they added uh, a really good safety net tight end in Austin Hooper um, from the Atlanta Falcons this season. And how is he going to get matched up with the linebacking core of the Ravens with a rookie in Patrick Queen and a solid tackler but not really a big name in LJ Fort and then some even younger guys behind LJ Fort. So what are your guys' thoughts on uh, how the tight ends – I should say David Njoku. I believe he – Has
2: rescinded his trade request. Yeah, he's still on the (laughs) team.
4: So on the team, uh, I believe he's active for week one. So how do you guys think the tight ends will be involved here? in terms of coverage from the Ravens linebackers and in terms of the issues of communicating coverages with Deshaun Elliott being a sort of new guy on the block here just a few days before the season starts.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. Um, I think some of it's going to fall on Chuck Clark, too, uh, especially you bring up the communication aspect. He is the leader of that defense. Everybody follows him, and he is going to be the guy responsible for making out a lot of those, those calls when it comes to coverage. Um, yeah, I mean, I talk about... Patrick Queen being super excited, but who knows, you know, who knows on either aspect of the ball. And I think coverage might be a little more difficult, even though he is one of these newer linebackers, smaller, quicker guys, who should be able to keep up with Hooper. But Hooper and Njoku, I mean, that's a formidable pairing as a tight end (laughs) pair. And we've seen how important that guy is, a safety blanket guy for Baker Mayfield, who, who knows, maybe he just doesn't want a safety blanket because – baker likes just throwing interceptions so he maybe he does like to won't, live dangerously
2: <laughs> he does
1: he's a big live dangerously guy so maybe he doesn't want the safety blanket but yeah i, I don't i don't necessarily have an answer to how it's going to go because we haven't seen a lot of aspects of this team yet um you know you mentioned elliot queen is lj ford a flash in the pan or is he a consistent level um good player if he's not out if they're rotating what do alaka and board and harrison bring you um in terms of coverage as well so that is an area for sure, I think, when you look at where in this aspect of the game, uh, this third of the game, Ravens defense versus Baker in that offense, that is probably the one that concerns you the most. Um, but but again, it's it's very much a wait-and-see approach to that.
2: Yeah, I, the only thing I have to add is any tight ends versus the Ravens has historically scared me. So especially with all this, as Tim, you mentioned, just the level of unknown I think it's definitely a concern because, like you said, uh, we've talked about this week and in past weeks, they did probably overpay him. But Austin Hooper is a good player, and I think Njoku's is certainly talented. He's had some, you know, good performances against the Ravens in the past, uh, and uh, we saw last year. You know, it wasn't so much uh, the OBJs or uh, Landry gave them a little more problems, though. In the first game, uh, as we've mentioned, the Ravens did not have Marcus Peters in that contest when. Uh, Humphrey completely shut down Beckham, uh, but Landry got a little loose. But it was your, you know, your Ricky Seals-Jones types that lit the Ravens up. Uh, So I definitely think, you know, it's football is the ultimate team game, right? So you kind of, it's all about, as Tim had mentioned, communication and working together and not just, you know, leaving these third options completely wide open uh, for Baker Mayfield. Uh, You know. A guy who has his faults, but I think you give him completely wide open guys in like two seconds of time, to two or three seconds of time to throw. He's still an NFL QB. He's got to find those guys. So just avoiding those kind of communication breakdowns um, is going to be tough, especially with such a young group. So I think it's definitely a good uh, good call. Uh, Antonio is a key matchup to watch.
4: Let's turn now to the rest of. The game, the special teams, the coaching, the intangibles. I, I mean, I've said this at the top of the show. I've said this in other episodes as well. I absolutely love John Harbaugh in a Week One situation where both teams haven't had a chance to prepare as much as they really would want. Um, I'm, I was going to bring this up in my in my gambling segment, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, 2017 Week One: Ravens beat the Bengals 20 to nothing. The following season, Week One, the Ravens beat the Buffalo Bills forty-seven to three. The following season, the Ravens beat the Miami Dolphins fifty-nine to ten. Week One, I think they score a lot of points. I think they have this game really well schemed. I love that we're going up against a rookie coach uh, who has a Week One game without a preseason to even just figure out simple things like how to communicate during a game, how to get play calls out when you're facing against you know against real competition. And then the last note I'm going to say quickly is the noise, the audio for these stadiums that we finally, we've been talking about this, hinting at it all summer over how this was going to go. There's finally an official NFL policy on the noise um, without fans in in the stadium, in most cases, or a few fans, but not enough to really impact uh, gameplay. So your broadcast will have uh, these sort of reactive Audio tracks that are going to get louder and more quiet depending on big plays or touchdowns or things like that. The stadiums themselves are going to have a different audio track from the ones that you will hear on the broadcast. And that's just going to be basically a generic constant murmur (laughs) at 70 decibels. And if they add music prompts in the stadium or or audio or different things like that, they cannot exceed 75 decibels. This is going to be measured by NFL officials on the field during these games to make sure that the New England Patriots don't find a way to cheat this through. (laughs) So, for reference, the teams that have the loudest stadiums, I want to say the Ravens, but statistically, teams like the Seahawks and the Chiefs stadiums Compared to the 70, 75 decibels, at their peak moments during games, they have gotten to 130 and 140 decibels. Most teams <laughs> get well over 100 when when their team is on defense. So this could be a big deal. This could be a really big impact if you're having the the noise um, level from, from having people in the stands to not... And I think that's going to impact how these games go. This is sort of my take for the season as a whole, but uh, I'll turn back to you guys and just thoughts on special teams, on Willie Sneed catching yeah. the first three punts of, of the NFL season, the coaching staff, and uh, and how this sound, this this stadium noise issue could impact
1: this game. Well, it's interesting because when you look at, um first of all you nailed everything with with week one in the ravens so we don't need to rehash that i think too we didn't talk a lot about him but baker mayfield 22 touchdowns 21 interceptions last year this is put up or shut up for baker mayfield um you know we mentioned it last year and we joked about it and everybody knows every second commercial was baker mayfield last season that won't be the case this year people are down on him and he needs to prove that He is a viable star in this league or great starting quarterback in this league. And it's, and it's year three. I mean, it is time for him to the quarterback that got picked 31 picks after him is the unanimous MVP going into this year. So it's time for him to like (laughs) figure, figure his stuff out as they would say Um, in terms of the noise, I think it's going to, it's, it's tough for a team like the Ravens where home field advantage is always a huge thing for them, you know? 8-0 8-0 at the bank, split on the road, that's 12-4. <laughs> like that's It's the joke, but it's a real thing. And the Ravens yeah. are one of the best teams at home in this hardball era. And that will be affected because of this. Um, every team will try and cheat this system. The fact that they're making referees monitor it when they're incompetent at their jobs anyway <laughs> is hilarious to me. Um, and then just on the special teams quickly, because you really laid everything out beautifully and you kind of nailed it, Antonio. But we talked a lot about Sneed. Because I think the offenses will now have even more of an advantage, field position might be even more crucial. Um, that it's, it's easier for a team to go 70 yards, so make sure they try and go 80 or 85 or 90 yards per drive. And you know who is really good at that? His name's Sam Cook. And the running joke on our old college one, our college radio show, we used to do Ravens wrap up is Sam Cook, best player in the league. So if he can. <laughs> continue to kind of perform at a very very high level as a punter. That's going to be a big thing. And then we're talking special teams. We got to mention arguably the greatest kicker of all time, Justin Tucker, who without even the pressure of the fans now, especially in away games, not necessarily for this one, is going to continue to perform at a high level. I have no doubt about that.
2: On the the sound, I mean this is obviously going to be I we're not going to have to bring it up every week because i think it'll just become a a week in week out thing but not having fans at most of these games uh or certainly the ones that have fans will be at you know extremely limited capacity uh you know crowd size pro football hasn't seen in this country in 70 years or whatever but uh it, the sound is going to be so fascinating because you talk about those decibel levels, Antonio, obviously that will make on field communication. I feel like much easier. Right. Uh, and so then at that point, it seems like it becomes more about just which team can execute better. Um, and it, you wonder if like, if that favors just the teams that are, you know, better like the Ravens. Cause you're like, they know what they're doing that, they, you know, they can c- clearly communicate, especially on these road environments, uh, what they want to do. But then you wonder from the other side too. You're. It seems like it's going to be hard to pull any fast ones on uh, the other team <laughs> when they can, you know, easily call out uh, assignments and stuff if everyone's on the same page. So I think that whole battle all year is going to be fascinating. Just how improved communication on defense um, and offense. Uh, um just how that impacts the games if we're going to see scoring go up because <laughs> offenses are just able to kind of boom 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 down the field there's no oh I couldn't get the relay when you can just you know kind of turn to the sideline and the coach can like yell the play to you if your headset goes out or whatever like it, it's it's going to be interesting um and you know and I think a lot of like you obviously I think the Chiefs are still allowing some fans i don't know if they changed course on that at all and like it seems like the cowboys are gonna have some fans so uh it'll be interesting to see how the decibel rules carry over if they do the similar murmur i would think they wouldn't if you actually have fans there but maybe they do i don't know to try to keep an even playing field but um that's gonna be interesting all year and i think as it pertains to this ravens game uh, I think for all you have to like, like John Harbaugh in week one, the Ravens rarely lose, uh, um, uh, like you said, Justin Tucker, best kicker in the league. The only thing you wonder, I guess, is with a lack of bodies in the seats, if that somehow changes the airflow in any of these stadiums. I don't know. That could be like a weird Tucker, you, Tucker's a weird guy when it comes to wind. You hear him talk about it sometimes. So I don't know, uh, tbd on that one we'll see if there's any impact but jace
4: coming in with the conspiracy theory the fan the body airflow conspiracy theory in the stadium i love it
2: we'll figure it out but uh yeah i mean i think you you just have to like john harbaugh and what is this year 13 year 14 versus uh kevin stefanski in his first game as an nfl head coach it seems like that favors the ravens especially um in this weird circumstance, they're in Baltimore, so they don't have to travel, so they don't have that kind of added stress in this season where, you know, everyone has to do, I guess it's pre-morning coronavirus tests and all that. So, um, seems like it favors the Ravens in week one, so, uh, but, you know, like everything in 2020, a lot, uh, remains to be seen about how things will play out.
4: Jace, you've made all the right points, I think, so I'm going to turn to the line here. Ravens listed at the moment as eight-point favorites. I'm picking them. I'm picking them to win. I'm picking them to cover. I would normally absolutely despise an eight-point line (laughs) that just screams win by a touchdown, lose the bet, but it's week one. I just don't know how much Kevin Stefanski for the Browns can possibly have done to prepare effectively for this type of situation for for coaching an nfl game um given no preseason and and any of that and the ravens are the better team anyway on paper i'm picking the ravens to win by two scores tim
1: ravens minus eight opening day kick the crap out of the browns put it the right note to start this weird weird nfl season so yeah i'm taking the ravens minus eight lock um, I know most of
2: what I've said today, uh, probably conveys that I'm confident and I do think the Ravens win this game for some of the reasons you mentioned, I hate that they're favored by eight. <laughs> so I'm taking the Browns when it comes to gambling to cover the spread. I think the Ravens win by four five to even seven points, but I don't, <laughs> that eight, it just seems a bridge too far. It just seems like they're primed for that garbage time. You know, Baker Mayfield to David and Joku touchdown with a minute twenty to go, and then they recover it onside or whatever. Um so I'm taking the Browns. Uh <laughs> just out of principle.
4: I love how Jace, you paint the entire landscape of how this game works for the Ravens. <laughs> Browns Browns to cover. Yeah. <laughs> On the road, week one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I could I. I, I I can very with... well see the garbage time touchdown to Beckham that he just over so <laughs> much in a game that's probably over with less than a minute left, and, and they're still down by a touchdown, and he just goes crazy. But I'm sticking with it. Tim and I love the Ravens at minus 8. All right, so we're going go uh, to th- go through a few more lines here. Uh, I realize I'm kind of cheating with one of my lines, but whatever. Uh, in a straight-up game, I love, love... Pittsburgh is five and a half point favorite against the New York Giants. Jace laid this out earlier. The Giants, they're not good. The Steelers were pretty good last year with just terrible quarterbacks. (laughs) We should mention quickly, Duck Hodges uh, officially did not make the the Steelers roster this year, so he is not on the team anymore. But Ben Roethlisberger, the return, I know I've questioned just how good is he going to be. He's going to be good enough to beat the Giants by a touchdown with all the other infrastructure that that is there in Pittsburgh. Uh, I love that line. And then I'm going to tease two games here, and I'm going to tease the Ravens. So I may not bet it twice, um, but I'm going to tease the Ravens game, and I'm going to tease that Thursday night game because it's the first game of the season, and how can I stay away from it? <laughs> it's Texans against the Chiefs in Kansas City. Uh the line on that is nine and a half, and the Ravens line being eight. I'm going to take a six-point tease, bring the Ravens down to minus two, bring the Chiefs down to minus three and a half. Have to win both of those to win the bet, but I'm all over that tease, and we'll cry about it next week. Tim, what other, uh, what other bets do you have for us uh, in week one games?
1: Yeah, thank God I'm not a gambling man because there's a lot of these lines that I love and I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, it's week (laughs) one. So nothing, it's going to be, it's week one and probably the weirdest NFL season of all time. So things are going to be very, very weird. Um, And Vegas always wins. So yeah, again, I'm glad I'm not throwing any official money on this. But if I was a gambling man, there are a couple that I do really like. Uh, You mentioned all the cases for Pittsburgh minus five and a half over the Giants. So I won't have to go there uh la chargers they're away to cincinnati it's a minus three and a half the Bengals aren't that good and the chargers are decent like they're okay i think tyrod taylor should he start i actually don't know if he's the starter or if herbert is the starter I think um, said
2: yet.
1: <laughs> either way minus three and a half i know joe burrow is supposed to be the next best thing but g- give me those with the league's worst team last season uh minus three and a half there so I'm going LA um, and then some other ones I like new England minus six and a half at home against Miami because the, I'm just resigned to the fact that the Patriots <laughs> are going to be good and it's going to be annoying. And I, I agree with all the points that uh, Antonio made about the dolphins. I mean, Bl- Brian Flores did a fantastic job with that team and they've only gotten better in the off season, but still I think new England's still a touchdown better than they are. Um, and maybe that's just the, Existential dread of New England <laughs> never being bad setting in, but who knows? Um, and then just two more, uh, or excuse me, one more quickly that I have is the New Orleans Saints minus three and a half over Tampa Bay, because let me tell you, the New we Orleans got to talk Saints about it are a much, much, much better football team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and. Tom Brady ain't worth that many points. I am sorry, especially at this age. Um, I, I, I don't – I heard I heard on another podcast that is way more famous than us, so they don't need the pub, so I don't need to give it to them. But basically people saying you either love Tom Brady or you don't like Tom Brady this year. It's it's it, In terms of how productive he will be, I am out on Tampa Bay. I am out on them being a Super Bowl contender. I'm just out. Um, I'm tired of all the hype. So give me New Orleans to lay a smackdown on them and say, hey, we are the kings of this division and don't you forget it. So minus three and a half is just too tasty for me.
2: Uh, Tim, we are on the same wavelength. I thought, yeah, uh, the Saints by that number. Uh, you know, fans or no fans. I'm not sure what the Louisiana statute is, honestly. Uh, but either way, Drew Brees in the Louisiana Superdome, uh, versus, you know. Tom Bay and Tom Brady, his first, you yes. know, game uh, with the Bucs. And, I mean, we expect Tom Brady to be good, but similar to what we've talked about with all these, you know, rookie players and first-time head coaches, you know, this isn't playing with Bill Belichick, who's been his coach for 20 years. This is, uh, you know, Bruce Arians and a new system and new teammates and uh, – You know, there's a lot to figure out, I think. And I I just think, yeah, three and a half for a Saints team that usually just destroys people at the Superdome. Like, they are unbelievably good in there. Uh, Yeah, I don't see how – I 100% agree. Saints, three and a half. And then the other one we mentioned as a team we loved um, in our uh, over-unders is the Packers, our Week 1 underdogs – to the Minnesota Vikings, two-and-a-half-point underdogs. Um, it is in Minnesota, but if you recall, when we last saw Packers and Vikings, um, it, you know, Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things. The Packers, you know, just rolled the Vikings the last time out. Uh, so, um... I don't know what's changed. They got rid of Stefan Diggs. I don't know that the Vikings are better. They have to Hunter and, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, who they just traded for. So that'll be interesting. But, you know, I don't think the Vikings got better on offense than they did. And that's, uh, what was their problem against the Packers last year uh, was the Vikings offense. Um, and Kirk Cousins going against the, uh, the, the the Smiths, Preston, and uh, former Ravens and Darius Smith. So, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Packers, underdogs against the Vikings team they historically uh, own. I'm going with the Packers, uh, plus
4: 2.5. Last note, I'll say on the gambling side of things, if you, like us, uh, agree that this 70-decibel maximum can impact games and is going to, reduce pre-snap penalties and make the hurry-up offense easier for for offensive teams and and communication to go smoother. Look at those over-unders. I talked about this a few weeks ago as just the spiciest take ever that overs this year could be tempting, especially early in the season before more and more fans get to go to games. I think Vegas may have already adjusted for this slightly. There are no over underlines in the 30 points of any of the games in week one which I feel like you normally see a few of them in the 37 38 numbers none of those but still look through the over-unders pick a team that you think is going to put some points up uh and have a little faith in points being scored especially early in the season with these quiet murmur stadiums <laughs> going for the first few weeks so that's my last bit there Guys, I'm going to go over the random Raven one more time and close things up. But before that, any final thoughts? Week one, Ravens, anything else you got to get off your chest before we have NFL football starting in two days?
1: Uh, Patrick Queen, as we record this, just tweeted Game week, whole life preparation came for this moment, and we ain't turning down now. So let's go. Uh, that's it. All right, the
4: random Raven. I selected this gentleman because he was an undrafted free agent that made the team one in the long line of Ravens undrafted free agents that made the team up until this season. So I feel like I should go back in time a little bit there. He signed with the team in 2011 out of Auburn, barely played that rookie year, but on the Super Bowl winning team, he played in 10 games, started three of them, and recorded 34 tackles. He left the team after the 2013 season and signed with the Detroit Lions, and then years later, last season, made a reappearance in the middle of the year, in the first quarter I want to say of the year, and helped revamp one of the defensive units that was struggling early on with the Ravens, and intercepted a pass from a Steelers non-quarterback. This year, he signed a one-year deal with the Bengals, and is once again a random Raven, former Raven. So I'll turn to you guys. Tim, you had a, a great anecdote about him uh, maybe having the final tackle in the Raven Super Bowl game. So who is this random Raven?
1: Yeah, I'm like 99% sure that is true. Um, it is Josh Bynes, who played a decent role for this 14-2 and team last season, um, and then was a bit of a disappointment when he signed with Cincinnati, and then clearly they've They've upgraded that position in the draft with guys like Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. So Josh Bynes, I believe, is the answer. Josh Bynes is correct.
2: That's who I well thought done. it was, too. I uh, I do believe he uh, tackles Ted Ginn, I believe it was, of uh, the 49ers, and who ball goes sailing out of bounds uh, as the Ravens storm the field. Um Oh, what a memory that was! Watching that at uh, Tim's apartment—I forget what that complex was called, but uh, courtyards, courtyards. Great times, great memories, uh, and uh, yeah, Josh Bynes. Uh, no idea he went to Auburn. Uh, no idea he's an undrafted free agent. Uh, the very definition of a random Raven. <laughs>
4: All right, guys, this is it. We've officially come one full year, first of all, on Pod Like a Raven, hit our one-year anniversary a few days ago, Tim, I believe, to the to the day. Uh, we were excited last year to kick this podcast off. We were excited all year, and we are just as ecstatic, exhilarated, whatever E-word you want to use about this new season in Ravens football, and we will be here every week to bring it to you excited, excited about week one. Ravens, Browns. will be back next week to recap that game and to preview week two as one of the strangest seasons in the NFL kicks off in just two days. For Tim Horsey and Jay 7s I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks so much for listening to Pod Like a Raven. Football season starts now. We will see you next week.